in life. All of our experiences are shaped by the expectations that we have. Um, I was just talking to folks before the service that if you have reserved, even if you've got a really good deal at a four-star hotel and you walk in and the, the beds are at best two-star level, it changes your experience. If your expectation is that it's going to be a two-star, then, then you have a different feeling about uh, trying to sleep in that bed. Sometimes it, it doesn't only change the experience that you have, it, it changes, uh, your expectations change the way that you uh, actually view reality. So maybe some of you have seen, I've seen it now a few different times, there's a meme that has been posted on the Facebook, it's a social media application uh, that some of us have on our computers or phones. Um, and this is what it says, it says, when the time, I've read it actually twice with, with a number of weeks in between, so I read it the same way both times at the beginning. It says, when the time comes, I 100, I 100% support mandatory vaccinations for everyone. If anyone refuses, they should be forced. Comments uh, are, you know, they're always good on the Facebook. And uh, comments quickly come, and, and then the responses are always, go back and read it. Because what it actually says is I 100% support mandatory vacations. And what happens is our expectations shaped by our culture, what's happening at the time, the way that people talk about things, it, it shapes the way that we view reality. And so that we actually think that something different is going on because we came into it with a particular expectation. And so that is certainly true when we think about uh, our experience of Easter Sunday worship uh, and the expectations that you have because of your past experience or because of uh, the, what you think about the reality of even a resurrection being possible. The expectations that the folks in this story had shaped the way that they experienced the resurrection, the way that they responded to both the death of Jesus and his resurrection. And we're going to think about expectations this morning in three ways. We, we, we don't expect the resurrection. It still uh, is often the case. We don't expect the resurrection. We don't expect this God. And we don't expect real implications in our lives because of the resurrection. Let me pray and we'll, we'll look uh, at these things. Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds to the truth of your word, that you would shape us this morning, that we would be struck with, faced with, uh, and moved by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that we see happening here is that God through his word, is communicating about an event that actually happened. And the fact that it actually happened in history, that this person, Jesus Christ, was a living human being. And at one point in history, about 2,000 years ago, he was murdered and then he physically rose from the dead. That's what Luke is communicating here in this gospel. That's what the other gospel writers communicate in their accounts of the resurrection. And, uh, and they make a big deal of the fact that it was real. And they're actually arguments that they're making and the ways in which they're telling the story that are communicating that reality. Because the fact is, not only do we in our modern enlightened uh, time where we really know so much, uh, not only do we not expect the resurrection, they didn't expect it then either. So let us not make the mistake, as we make our arguments against the resurrection, make the mistake of saying, oh, they lived in old times and they, they thought this kind of thing happened. No, they, they lived in the world and they saw death 
And they knew that when people died, they didn't come back from the dead. They had no expectation going into this moment, any of these characters, that Jesus was going to rise from the dead, even though he had said that he would. And, and the, the chief priests and the Pharisees here in verse 62 of chapter 27, they know that. They note that he said that this was going to happen and that they're afraid that a fraud is going to they call him an imposter. And then they, they say that his followers, the disciples, are going to try to steal his body and then tell people that he rose from the dead. But they didn't expect it to actually, they, they were trying to protect against a fraud, not against actual resurrection, because they didn't think that it would happen. And that's consistent with the way that they viewed the world, too. So whether the, it was the pagan religions of the time that were incredibly Gnostic in the way that they thought, that is, there was this, uh, this very clear divide between the spiritual and the physical, they, they thought that the goal was to get to a spiritual state that our physical bodies were just vessels that would, that would go away. There was no expectation of resurrection, no desire for that even. And then even the, the Jewish, the religious leaders here, the chief priests and the Pharisees, uh, referenced in verse 62, uh, the, the fact that one person in the midst of history would rise from the dead was not a part of their expectations. They, there, there was, if you remember some of the stories of the gospel, disagreements between the Pharisees and the Sadducees about whether or not there was resurrection, but they were thinking about resurrection in the end, at the very end when, when, when history ended. But the, not that there would be a resurrection in the midst of history. That was not a part of their expectation. So this was mind-blowing for them, too. They did not expect it, just as, as we don't. And so the way that the story is told, that they actually encounter that, uh, should be received as a surprise and should be understood as a surprise for them just as it is, is for us. E- even, again, Jesus' friends, the, the Marys, verse 1 in this case, uh, went, we know from other accounts and other gospels, they went to finish the burial process. They didn't go looking for a risen Jesus, even though he had told them that was going to happen. It was not a part of the way they expected the world to happen. But what does happen is the resurrection, this actual event that changes everything, this new belief that then becomes universally accepted by all Christians because they encountered Jesus, so many of them themselves, and then they believed the accounts of it from those that did. This changed the way that they understood the world. Paul tells us later in 1 Corinthians 15, as he talks much about the resurrection, that if it didn't actually happen, that all that we're doing as Christians is pointless and to just be dismissed. But he says it did. It did happen and it changes everything. And it actually promises that we ourselves will experience physical resurrection in the end. The, the reality of the resurrection actually happening, happening and its importance is communicated very well in this poem by John Updike, the multiple Pulitzer Prize winning author. And uh, he wrote this poem, uh, Seven Stanzas at Easter. His words are better than mine, so I'm just going to read the poem. Make no mistake, if he rose at all, it was as his body. If the cell's dissolution did not reverse, the molecule re-knit, the amino acids rekindle, the church will fall. It was not as the flowers, each soft spring recurrent. It was not as his spirit in the mouths and fuddled eyes of the 11 apostles. It was as his flesh, 
ours. The same hinged thumbs and toes, the same valved heart that pierced, died, withered, paused, and then regathered out of enduring might new strength to enclose. Let us not mock God with metaphor, analogy, sidestepping, transcendence, making of the event a parable, a sign painted in the faded credulity of earlier ages. Let us walk through the door. The stone is rolled back, not paper mache, not a stone in a story, but the vast rock of materiality that in the slow grinding of time will eclipse for each of us the wide light of day. And if we have an angel at the tomb, make it a real angel, weighty with Max Planck's quanta, vivid with hair, opaque in the dawn light, robed in real linen, spun on a definite loom. Let us not seek to make it less monstrous for our own convenience or our own sense of beauty, lest awakened in one unthinkable hour, we are embarrassed by the miracle and crushed by remonstrance. Beautiful words to communicate that we need it to be real. If it's not real, that we're, we're missing the whole point. If we think of it as just some spiritual story, we're, we're missing the reality of God working in this world. Now, maybe for some of us, this means we actually need to spend some time dealing with the resurrection. There are many doubts. There are many questions. And, and yet, I would argue that there are many reasons to reasonably believe that this is a historical fact. If you need to engage on those things, my encouragement is to do exactly that. that. That is actually, in fact, the place to begin when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to worshiping God, when it comes to these things that we do on Sunday morning or in community group. It begins with the resurrection. It all hinges upon this. As Updike says, if he didn't rise, if, his, if the amino acids weren't rekindled, the church will fall. We believe that the church is here because he did. But then that puts us facing this God that we don't expect. We don't expect the resurrection, and then we don't expect the God that would actually bring this to occur. And part of it begins with the stuff that we talked about at Good Friday, right? We don't expect a God that would find himself in the position of being betrayed, of being denied, of being mocked and tortured and killed. We don't expect that Injustice that, we, that God would put himself in that place. And they certainly didn't expect it at the time. It was, it was shameful that this would actually occur. That the religious leaders would find their God mocked and killed in this way. And, and we don't expect it because we then recognize that the God who, who suffers and who calls us to follow him in his death and his resurrection, to follow him in our own suffering and then to to experience resurrection with him, that, that a God who would call us to that is a God who might call us to either give up power or give up comfort or give up position. That is a challenge to us that we don't really like. It doesn't fit with our expectations of what God should be and, and what he should do. And, and we think about the ways that our broader culture thinks about God and what he should be and who he should be and how he should act. This guy doesn't fit. I remember uh, standing with a fellow parent, a neighbor, when we lived in Denver, and uh, he is uh, not a fan of the church. Uh, and, and yet what his communication was is that as he learned that I was a pastor, uh, was, you know, it's, uh, it's all about, um, about love, loving other people. 
And the Bible makes it clear that that is, is pretty central to following Jesus. But my friend would define that in a very different way. That this God who died and rose again, the things that he calls us to sometimes calls us to give up. To give up the things that we might want. And so we find this is exactly what happens with the religious leaders of the time, the chief priests and the Pharisees. They want to avoid the fraud because they don't want to give up their power, their position, their comfort. And so they're doing everything they can to fight against that. The God who would challenge the way that they think about the world, that would challenge their reality, that would challenge their power and their comfort. And so they go to Pilate and they say, let's, let's do something about this. And, and uh, I love his response. Um, I think Luke means this to be understood humorously. In verse 65, Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. Go make it as secure as you can. If you know the rest of the story, that's pretty funny, right? Make it as secure as you can? Not very. They cannot make it secure against the power of the God who can rise from the dead, who can have the stone moved back. Make it as secure as you can. And, and that's a good word for us, that the powers that would fight in our own minds and bring up doubts of the resurrection, make them as secure as you can. Deal with the spirit on them. The, the moves to diminish the church and its power to say that we shouldn't allow the gospel and the proclamation of the resurrection to move forward all throughout history. There have, have been efforts to, to cur- curtail that work. Those plans, make them as secure as you can. What we find is that that God is so much more powerful. He is a God of resurrection. He is a God who is not what we expect. Because even in the resurrection, this beautiful, powerful story, it it brings about fear. Look at verse 4 of chapter 28. For fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. We don't know if does that mean that they passed out or they just were so afraid that they played dead. They're terrified is the point. And that's just the, the angel that has come down to proclaim these glorious truths. But we also know that, that encountering the risen Jesus, because it's so against our expectations, it... it should bring about fear within us. And that's exactly what happens. So that even after the Marys encounter him, verse eight, they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. Now that fear is this all respect, but it is, it is, it is fear at some level because of the power that has been displayed before them. This is who this God is that is able to conquer death itself. And so as a result, then, he is a God who would, as, we, as I mentioned before, if you're questioning Christianity, if you're wondering about this whole thing, start here. You, we, we, there are all kinds of, of doubts that are thrown out there of Christianity, and, and they center around issues of sexuality or gender, they, uh, the history of the church, um, the role of disciples, all these, the Bible, all these things. But it, it, those things are really important. But... They're not the place to start. If he actually rose from the dead, then he actually has something to say about those other things. But again, let's begin with the resurrection. If he rose from the dead, 
then he has something to say about every single area of our lives, not just worship on Sunday morning or our time in community group or our time just reading the Bible. He has something to say about everything, the way that we spend our money, the way that we enter into and act in relationships with one another, the way we do our jobs, the way that we are neighbors. Every single thing should be affected if he rose from the dead. And we should look to him in every area, that our lives would actually be fully centered upon him. Religion, Christianity, is not just this little side thing to make us feel better. It's not self-help. It, it is the center of who we are as human beings if Jesus rose from the dead. Now, maybe we believe in the resurrection. We believe these facts, but then we don't actually expect there to be any implications for it to really matter in our lives. And so we turn very quickly to other hopes. We're going to put our hope in politics or social change or community development corporations, neighborhood associations, and our ability to do our job well in science. And let me suggest that every single one of those categories is good and positive and we should engage those things. But if they are our ultimate hope, then we will ultimately lose hope. They are not the ultimate answer. They matter. They ultimately matter because of the resurrection, because it was uh, an actual event that happened. Theologian N.T. Wright, in his book, For All God's Worth, says this. The message of the resurrection is that this world matters. That the injustices and pains of this present world must now be addressed with the news that healing, justice, and love have won. If Easter means Jesus Christ is only raised in a spiritual sense, then it is only about me and finding a new dimension in my personal spiritual life. But if Jesus Christ is truly risen from the dead, Christianity becomes good news for the whole world. News which warms our hearts precisely because it isn't just about warming hearts. Easter means that in a world where injustice violence and degradation are endemic, God is not prepared to tolerate such things. And that we will work and plan with all the energy of God to implement victory of Jesus over them all. Take away Easter, and Karl Marx is probably right to accuse Christianity of ignoring problems of the material world. Take it away, and Freud was probably right to say that Christianity is wish fulfillment. Take it away, and Nietzsche probably was right to say it was for wimps. But we're here to proclaim that it can't be taken away, that it is real and true, that Jesus rose from the dead, and that it matters and that it has implications for everything that we might engage in. That this world matters. And that it not only, so let's not be too quick to say that it just matters of, of bigger pictures of injustice. It does matter spiritually. It's not just a spiritual story, but it does matter spiritually that there's effect on our hearts and our emotions and our mentality. And we see this in Ephesians chapter 2, that there's a sense in which we have already, so again, as a reference back to 1 Corinthians 15, uh, Paul notes that Jesus was just the first, that we all are going to rise from the dead physically. That's the promise of what is to come in the end, when Jesus returns and makes all things right. But there's a sense in which we have already experienced resurrection, being joined with him. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. 
By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying here, there's a sense in which we have already experienced the resurrection. Certainly there's something spiritual going on here. There's a spiritual promise. And he knows, so I'm going to actually go back a chapter in Ephesians to chapter 1. He knows as he's speaking to those who believe in the history, the historical fact of the resurrection. They believe that. He knows that they need to understand it and apply it more in their hearts. And that should be our prayer and our goal for ourselves and for one another. So here, the prayer of Paul in Ephesians 1, verses 18 to 21. This is what he's praying, so picking up in the middle of this prayer. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might? that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. These things that he's praying for, that we would know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. He's saying that these things come because of the power of the resurrection, that there is a promise of spiritual work in our lives now. And that as we seek him and his word and prayer and worship with the body of Christ, with the people of God, we look to the resurrected Lord. And we, we see that there are promises here that, that shape us. The resurrection really happened, and it matters for you and for me. It brings us hope in this moment. And sometimes that hope is spiritual as it looks to the physical that is to come. As we pray for those who are physically hurting. As we pray uh, this week for Ames Nottingham and in the hospital. As we, we, we recognize when we, we, we know folks who have died from COVID, we pray with hope of the resurrection that it actually gives us hope now, even in the face of death. And maybe especially in the face of death in the way that no other thing that we might put our hope in does. Because all of those other hopes, they are put to shame in death. But we have the promise of the resurrection. And we can look back to the resurrection of Jesus as the down payment on that hope that this is real and true, that it matters for us and that we can look to him for that power in our own lives.